Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to thank Brother Ellington for that awesome song on July 4th, and I know our hearts were really, truly blessed by it. And so let us rise as we do all the time in this service. We say those words on the screen together before we get into the Word. And let's do that. If you want to raise a Bible, you can do that in an act of what the words are on the screen. This is my Bible, the Word of God. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lord, open my ears to receive it and prepare my heart to contain it. I submit my will to it as the final authority in my life. Speak now, Lord Jesus, while I listen. Thank you. Please be seated. I bring grace, mercy, and peace to you this morning from God our Father, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who calls us into fellowship. America the Beautiful was based on a poem uh, written by a professor, a poet, and a writer, Catherine Bates. During an uh, 1893 trip that she took to Colorado Springs, Colorado, and when she got to the top of the peak of the, 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 the mountain that they had traveled, the view was so beautiful that it inspired her to write. And all the wonders of America seemed displayed there at that point. And so the poem that Bates wrote from uh, first appeared in the Prince in what they used to call the Congregationalist, a weekly journal on July the 4th, 1895, where in a few months, it was set to music by a guy named Silas uh, G. Pratt. He wrote it into music. Bates revised the song in 1904 after receiving many requests to use the song in publications and special services. Uh, an additional change was made to the wording of the, the third verse in 1913, give, uh, which gives us the version that we, we know today uh, and we sing today. The song is considered by some of the uh, country's uh, people as uh, an unofficial anthem, a national anthem of the United States. The first verse of the poem, as was saying, reads, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, uh, for amber waves of green, for purple mountains' majesty above the fruited plain. It goes on to say, America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crowned that goods with brotherhoods from sea to shining sea. Uh, the phrase that we captured from this verse is the phrase that says, God shed his grace on thee. God shed his grace on thee. When the writer of this poem wrote the poem and put these words in it, what she envisioned was that what America was or had and still has today came from God, and it is by the grace of God that the United States is what it is today. It is not by the means of anybody's, uh, you know, smartness or ability or strength that have caused this country to come this far. It is only by the grace of God. As we celebrate the July, 20, uh, July 4th, 
today, let us remember that it is by the grace of God that we've come this far. And so the writer writes that, unfortunately, today's leaders have walked away from this truth. And instead of looking at it as something that God is, done, is doing or has done for the country, they are looking at it from another perspective, that it is by our power, it is by our own strength and ability that we've come this far. The church needs to remember that it is by the grace of God that we have come this far. One of the many challenges of the human race is the growing tendency to be first. Everybody wants to be first. The tendency to be first has caused many chaotic events in our world today. It has caused families and friends to become rivals. And James says it this way. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he reads, What causes fight and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. You kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. We fight to be first in line. We become envious and jealous because of the desire to become like or better than others. We fight. We stand against one another. We fight. We want to be better. We want to be best. Sometimes we even stand in the place of God. And we think that we are able to handle our affairs on our own and that we don't need God. Being first has not only become a personal problem, but it's also become a social problem that has grown into many branches today. The very branch that has appeared on this problematic tree is claiming to be first. And as an expression of legitimacy, they all choose the word right as a label. They choose the word right. So we have now the religious right, we have the LBGT rights, we have the feminist right, we have the civil rights, and the rights, and the rights, and the rights keep going on. I thought about this and I asked the question, so who is wrong if everybody is right? Who is wrong? You know, everybody claims to be right. The first the fight for first place is not only, has not only become an individual problem or a social problem, but it's also become a global problem. It's a global problem. We have nations around the world seeking ways to be first. And so you look around the world today, they are building their militaries, they are building their economies, all trying to be first or take first place. Then we have the politicians who are pulling each other down in their efforts to be first. And they fight, and they, you have the right wing and the left wing, and they're all fighting for first place. They fight for what their, constitu their constituents want instead of what the country needs. And the fight continues. And sometimes it gets so confusing that even the church gets confused by this stuff and in our desire to empathize with the ongoing situation, we decide that we accept everything for what it is. 
And we ask the question, why can't we just all get along? Why can't we just accept things for what it is? Accept people for who they are. You know, but God did not call us to accept people for who they are and accept things for what they are. You know, so, 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 but, but all of this is going on. God comes in and he says, he says, I want to be first. I claim first place. I want to remain first. Now, in order to know which claim is right, we need to go back and look at history. Let's look at history this morning. And we go back and we look at time to find out when each movement, movement began. Each of these movement, movements that, are, that we, I named earlier, when did they begin? We look at the feminist movement. movement. The feminist movement began in 1848. That is a long time, huh? 1848. And then the civil rights movement began in 1964. We have the religious rights movement that started in 1971. And then you have the LBGTQ movement that didn't just start, but it started in 1965. Okay? And the, all of them are claiming for first place, uh, looking at the length of time they've been around trying to, you know, make their voices heard. And then I went to search to find out when the God movement started. We've looked at all of the other movement. Now let's look at the God movement. When did it start? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I went and searched and searched, I looked in the book of Genesis, look at the first chapter of Genesis. That was when everything started. That was when time began. And the Bible says right there, in the beginning, God. God was the only one standing before anything started. And it tells us in the beginning, God was. And so if God was in the beginning of time, then that suggests to all of us that this God who was in the beginning of time did not only exist in time, but existed outside of time. Okay? And so, that, that's, that's, so this is the reason why when he claims first place, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Matter of fact, to push that uh, case further, we look at when did man come into existence? The Bible tells us that God created the first man in Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. God put life in man. So whoever man it was that started a movement, his life started with God in Adam. Right, And it tells us that God gave the first rule. did not only create the first man, but he created the first rule. In Genesis 2, 16, 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God gave Adam rules. Give him life, give him rules. God being around longer than time. Everlasting is his name. Everlasting is his name. Why would we want to compare a flower that is here today and gone tomorrow to a God like this? And this is exactly what he's talking about in the text we're going to look at further. He's talking about us trying to take a flower and put it in his place. Or take something that he created in his own hands and put it in his place and make it first. How can we do that? God was there first. He was there before the sun came up. 
He was there before the rain came. He was there before the grass grew. He was there before the animals came. He was there before you and I came on the earth. He was there first. And he wants to claim that first place through all, all times. And I think the church needs to respect that. If nobody else respects that, the church needs to respect the fact that God is first. God wants to remain first. And this is why he says to us, do not put anything before me. Look at in, in Exodus 20 verse 3. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. What that means is anything that you worship or put first in front of God, anything that you make more important than God is what you worship. And God is saying, we must not do that. Many folks today have walked away from church, walked away from God, walked away from worship. And when you ask them why, they have a reason. And sometimes the reason that they're giving seems very legitimate. When God has told us not to put anything in before him and make it first. And this is a very important aspect of our lives as he created us to worship him. Do not put anything first, he says. Why is, is this so important that God be first in our lives? Let me tell you why. This is one of the reasons why it's important. Putting God first puts us in first place. Did you grasp that? Putting God first puts us in first place. That's what it does. It all boils down to who you are hanging with. If you're hanging out with God, you are in first place because God is first. And that's what it is. If you are hanging out with God, you are seated, the Bible says, above where? In heavenly places. All right? That's why it tells us in, in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that we are seated above in heavenly places. If you put God first, he'll make you first. He will put you, make you a partner with him, and you are seated with him. It may not seem like that sitting in church this morning. You may have burdens you're carrying. You may have issues that you're dealing with. But you have to know this by faith, that once you are hanging with God, God will put you first, and you are seated in heavenly places with him now, even though it doesn't seem that way. Give God a hand of praise this morning for heavenly places. Heavenly places is where we are seated this morning. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first. Everybody say first. first. I didn't hear it. First. There you go. Seek first. The Bible says the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, he says, will be added or given to you as well. What is it he's talking about? He's talking about things. The earthly treasures, the things that we follow after, the things that we seek for, the things that we crave in this life, the things that we run after in this life, that we place first before God. God says, no, don't put the, the cart before the horse. Put the horse before the cart. Put me first. And all that stuff is going to follow you. That's what he's saying. And unfortunately, we don't do it that way. God is speaking in this text in Matthew 6, 33, about added blessings he's not talking about the normal blessings that we have every day you wake up from the bed and there is fresh air to breathe you have oxygen running through your nose you have life in you your lung is, is, is breathing oxygen inside of you you are living and moving existing you have the energy and strength all of these things are needs that god has met but god is talking about added blessing don't forget this seek you First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the text says, and all these things, the earthly things that we are seeking, will be given to you, God says. 
It will follow you. Goodness and mercy, your psalm says, will follow you all the days of your life. But in order for the goodness and the mercy to follow you, you got to be hanging with God. And when you're hanging with God, things will happen in your life. I'm telling you, things will happen. You will see God taking you through doors that you never thought you would be able to go through. But God is going to let that happen because you are hanging with him. You put him first in your life. God set Israel apart. In Genesis 7 verse 6, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth so to, to be his people. His treasured possession. This is Israel. God set Israel apart. And just like Israel, I believe God set the United States apart as well to show forth his glory. He did the same when the pilgrims left England and came to this land and established this nation. God placed this place as a place where his folks would come and exclusively worship him. Do you know one of the primary reasons why the pilgrims left England and came down here? They came here because they were not allowed to open the Bible and read it on their own. They had to go and listen to it through a priest, and they were not allowed to do that. They came here because they were looking for what they call freedom of religion, what has been redefined today to mean that anybody can worship whatever they want to worship, but that was not the original definition for freedom of worship when the pilgrims came here. That freedom of worship had to do with the fact that they had the ability to call on God. They had the ability now, the freedom to open up the Word of God, to open up the Scripture and learn of God. That was what it was about. If you went to Massachusetts and you went and looked at the monument that is built over there, and you went and looked at all of the different emblems on that monument, all is talking about God. Every emblem, every picture on that monument is talking about God. And that that monument was placed there by the pilgrims. It was like when the Israelites crossed into the promised land, and they they, they built that monument, and 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 Moses told them, or Joshua told them, that when your children... Tomorrow's generation ask you, and they ask you, what is this about? You can explain to them how God took us through the wilderness and brought us through the Jordan River and set us in this land. It was God who did that. You can explain that. It's the same monument that was built in, 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 in Massachusetts. If you went to Plymouth, Massachusetts, a monument was placed there by the pilgrims, and they put that there so that we can explain to our children and our children's children what this mission was all about, the establishment of the United States of America. God set this country apart. And there are so many things that you can see that resembles Israel when God set Israel apart. Today, the country has derailed away from God. They have walked away from God, walked away from that foundation that was established for her. And she is doing all kinds of things today, just like Israel did. And the prophet warned them over and again, if you don't stop, God is going to come, and he's going to come and bring judgment on you. And they did not listen. And one day God did that. Did that while Jeremiah was in prison. He was in the dungeon when they went and raided Israel, Jerusalem, that day. God is looking at the United States, and he's watching every move and everything that we're doing. He's seeing it with his eyes. We have to be careful as the nation that has been set apart, as his people, the church that has been set apart. Because the church is so confused now, we are listening to what society is saying. We are trying to please society, and we are bringing into the church what is not of God. 
The church is agreeing with the world. And we have this great divide in the church today because we have the liberal church and we have the, the conservative church and all these things are happening. The church has divided when it comes to doctrine and practice. Why? Because we are not standing on the authority of the word of the living God. We need to get back to it. We need to get back to it. God has set us apart. Every single person that has been baptized in Christ has been set apart. In 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen people. God is talking to you now, individually. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God is the one who called us out. We didn't call ourselves. We didn't get into this thing by choosing God. He chose us, my God, and brought us into this thing. He was the one who brought us in. He was the one who baptized us in and allowed his spirit to live inside of you. He, God, did it. And he's saying that as he did it, he took you and set you apart for a time, for a purpose, for a cause. And that's the reason why he's done it. And as we live our lives, we need to remember this, that God has set us apart. We, we are no longer ours. He has chosen us. Man, you cannot be living in the palace with the king and still live like a person who's living on the streets. You can't do that. When you walk out, you need to represent the king. And this is exactly what's happening when God calls us into his kingdom and into his wonderful light. We come into this wonderful light. God wants us to express that in the way we walk and in the way we talk and in the things we do. God wants us to express that, that we are his children, that we've been set apart, called by him to do wonderful works. So all of this comes down to the theme of today's message, who's first? Who's first is the theme for today. If you said then, yeah, uh, if you said that God is first in your life, here are some things to expect. I'm going to give you three things to expect, and I'm going to sit down. The first thing I want to tell you is expect to stand alone. If you said God is first, you must expect to stand alone. Look at Jeremiah 28 verse 9. Jeremiah 28 9 says, But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. What is happening here? The prophet Jeremiah rebukes the false prophet Hananiah. Hananiah was a false prophet during this time. And what Hananiah did was he stood amongst the leader of Israel after the country had been ransacked, after the people had been taken into captivity, those who were left, the remnants, he went in the midst of them, Jeremiah was still there, and he started to prophesy, and he told them that God was going to go and bring all of the Israelites back to Jerusalem. He was going to bring them back and rebuild the country. He was going to destroy all of those kings and countries that took them exile. Jeremiah listened to this, and the, the, the leaders of Israel were clapping their hands because that was what they wanted to hear. But the message was not from God. This was what the Bible calls message that would itch the ears of people. He was only itching the ears of those people because that was what they wanted to hear. And the Jeremiah the prophet came out and said that his message was wrong. And if your message is true, he says, then let's see if this prediction is going to come to pass. If your prediction doesn't come to pass, it means your message is false. Because your message is false. God did not say that. 
What God says instead, he is going to continue to punish Israel until Israel comes back to him. That's the message from God. And you see, so, so, so uh, Jeremiah was standing alone in this time. He had nobody with him. They hated him. They ostracized him. They beat him. They put him in prison numerous times for speaking the truth. And there was a time, he says, that sometimes when after they had persecuted him, he felt so bad he just wanted to walk away from God and shut his mouth. But every time he tried to do that, it felt like a fire was in his bones that would not stop him from preaching. And he kept saying the truth. That's what God is calling the church to be today. People who will stand up for him. People who will be alone in that standing. Expect to be alone, my friends, if you're going to follow God. Because we're living in a time now where the country where the society we are living in have deviated and shifted away from God so badly, so badly that it's so easy to get suctioned into this whole custom thing or a traditional thing or social thing that they have out here and forget the God who called you unto himself. So prepare to stand alone amongst your friends. You might have to stand alone sometimes, stand alone in the public. Because I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not doing this. God says no, and that settles it. I'm not doing it. And you have to stand alone. We don't have to agree to everything that they say and everything that they're doing. We have to stand alone for the sake of the gospel. That's the first thing we must expect to do. Be ready to stand alone. Not just expect to stand alone, but expect to stand abandoned. Not only to stand alone, but expect to stand abandoned. Look in Matthew uh, 10, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that standing for him would bring about a divide. Do you hear me? It's going to bring about a divide. That, that, that the word sword in here is talking about a material that split things into two parts. And he says that there is going to be a divide because I'm bringing a sword that is going to split families apart and, and, and bring a cause division. Why? Because of what I believe, I am not going to agree to what the world is saying out there. My mother or my father may agree with the world, but because they agree with the world, if I'm standing with Christ and standing on his side, I don't agree with what they agree with. It's going to bring a divide. That's what he's talking about. All right? He says, I didn't bring no peace here. And so we are trying to claim peace, and the church is trying to claim peace. Why can't we all be together and be, uh, be one? We cannot be one. Let me tell you this. Listen to me. If you are on the side of Christ, you cannot be one with the world. Did you hear me this, this morning? Jesus says that a man cannot serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. If you're for the world, you cannot love Christ. If you're for Christ, you cannot love the world. You will hit one and love the other. Because while the law of matter states that two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And that's what Jesus is simply saying. You will love one and hate the other. Okay? So families will be uh, split apart. He says prepare to be abandoned. Expect to be abandoned if you're going to stand on the side of God. They will abandon you. Family and friends 
will walk away because you won't make sense anymore. And they'll walk away from you. But you need to stand because of the cause of Christ. Because you know that you know that you know that you know that the Jesus that is inside of you is real. All right? And you stand for him in times, in seasons, and out of seasons. We must always stand for Jesus. So, 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 so expect to be abandoned. The last thing is expect to stand aware. Stand aware. What did the scripture say in Matthew 10, 37? Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, listen to this, is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is hard saying. This is a hard saying. Look at this. We must walk daily with the awareness that Jesus claims first place in our lives. This is it. First place. Jesus is, look, Jesus is not even apologetic about this. He is not. He is, he is so not apologetic about this that he compares his relationship to the relationship that we cherish most. If there's one thing I don't want to see happen is me being separated from my parents or being separated from my children. Okay? Nobody wants to see that. Jesus is saying, for my sake, he's saying that if, if you love your family more than me, or your children more than me, or your parents more than me, you are not worthy. This is hard. Saying, as we celebrate Independence Day this year, let's be aware that all of our blessings that we receive come from this one truth, that God shared his grace on us. Let's wake up with that awareness on the fourth, that God shared his grace on us. Let's wake up with that awareness, that the blessings that we receive, that we take for granted, that God shared his grace on us. And that's why we enjoy these wonderful things that we have today. And if we're going to make him first in our lives, let's choose him all the way. Let's go with Jesus. Let's leave everything else behind. I have decided, the old songwriter writes, to follow Jesus. He says, no turning back, no turning back. The world is behind me and the cross is before me. No turning back, no turning back. I made that declaration a long time ago. Somebody said, think that I'm standing here because I'm a pastor, that's why I'm saying this. No, but I made that declaration long before becoming a pastor. And I made that decision to follow Jesus, to follow the cross of Christ, the world behind me, the cross before me. And as I walk towards the cross, sometimes I stumble along the way trying to get there. But I get up and keep walking. I don't stop. I don't allow uh, discouragement to make me to turn around. I am persevering towards that cross. That's my goal, to get the cross of Jesus and claim it. He says what? We should take up our crosses and follow. And that's the message I got for you this morning. I pray that as you receive these words from God this morning, I want you to remember always, if you put the cross before you and the world behind you, if you stand alone for Jesus, listen, he will never bring you this far and leave you. God will never teach you to swim and let you drown. He won't build his home in you and move away. God will never lift you up and let you down. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.